Lighthouse Live is pre-recorded before a live audience. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. Good evening to you, Pastor Mike Douglas here. Welcome to Lighthouse Live. Great to have you with us. Those of you joining us around the world on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network, so good to have you with us. And Elaine, opportunity tonight to visit with some old, well, they're not old, but visit for long time. <laughs> We're in friends. trouble already, I'm, and we just started. I'm already in trouble with Ken, and we haven't even started yet, but Ken and Jane Muir's are here along with the guests. Old is spelled O L E. Yeah, O L E. There you yes. go. Some Thank great you. friends, and uh, exciting what God is. Is, uh, doing through them, and uh, we'll be visiting with them in uh, just a few minutes. And just a reminder, friends, uh, for those of you who check our website, remember that daily update page is updated two or three times, sometimes four times a day, and uh, great opportunities to serve there as well as a calendar. And uh, in fact, Elaine, some folks checked the calendar last week. We had a great time down oh, in Ceres. My goodness, that was uh, what a blessing that was, Mike. I tell you what, 20 people turned out to kick off the graffiti wipeout uh, in Ceres. Isn't that great? What a wonderful time. It was great, and, and a great time with uh, Brad Kilger, mm-hmm. the uh, city manager, city manager yes. out there painting out the graffiti with us. Our board was, members were out there, yeah, children was, from uh, several different churches. I think our youngest time. was, what, about two and a half or something three, like that, something. and our oldest she was, two was years old. Yeah. Our oldest was, never mind. Well, anyway. we won't go into that part. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, before we uh, before we go on, though, and introduce you to Ken and Jane and uh, their guests tonight, let's check in with our weekly update from the Voice of the Martyrs. Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with a thank you to a small church in a faraway place as they demonstrate what it means to be a Jesus freak. It's 1991, Canal, Peru. Terrorists burned down their church and 17 houses, all belonging to Christians. Their pastor is murdered. Yet the very next night, 30 of these believers gather fearlessly in the muddy street to sing praise songs, worship the one true God, and even pray for their persecutors. They live by the words of Paul in Philippians 1.27. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Will you take a stand? Go online to persecution.com. Yeah, just a reminder, friends, you know, we're blessed in this country. We can gather together for something like we're doing the, uh, this evening, and uh, we can gather together for worship. But there are places around the world where uh, that would put your life in danger for uh, persecution, uh, for execution. And uh, we just need to, uh, number one, be thankful mm-hmm. for the opportunity and the freedoms that God has given us. But number two, take advantage of them. And, uh, you know, it just, it just, um, 
galls me, Elaine, that God has given us this freedom uh, to go out as the body of Christ and serve the community. And you know that uh, we have people on a waiting list to get rides to their medical appointments right. during the week. You Indeed. know, friends, we've got to engage the community. And our job here is to make that as simple as possible. We make it really simple for you to reach out and serve the needs of others. So again, that website, uh, www.vibrantcommunities.org. That's vibrantcommunities.org. Check our daily update page there on the website. Great opportunities to serve. And if you're outside the San Joaquin or San or Stanislaw County areas, we'd be more than happy to uh, let you know how we got things rolling. And I believe that every community has its own personality, so we're not into building an empire here. We simply want to share our hearts and uh, maybe some resources so you can start meeting some needs in your own community. You can give us a call at 209-544-9571. That's 209-544-9571. Again, that website, Vibrant Communities. Let's check in now with our friend Brad Dacus and the Pacific Justice Institute. It's time for The Legal Edge, a look at your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. And now with a look at what's happening on the legal front, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Good news. Pacific Justice Institute is proud to announce the opening of a new satellite office in Southern California. Now, the office will be on the campus of Trinity Law School, where law students will be eager to serve as interns, getting practical experience defending religious liberty. Heading the PGI legal team will be a full-time attorney, Karen Milam, bringing her extensive trial experience and passion for religious freedom. Directly challenging the attacks from the Orange County ACLU, this new office, along with hundreds of volunteer PGI attorneys, will even better meet the legal needs of churches and people of faith in the five-county L.A. area. I'm Brad Dacus. To find out more about The Legal Edge, call 916-857-6900 or log on at pacificjustice.org. And you know, Elaine, also coming up on January 23rd, Brad Dacus and the Pacific Justice Institute will be out here in Modesto. And uh, it'll be a time to share with uh, churches, pastors, and anyone who's interested. A lot of the uh, legal issues now will learn about uh, the fact that, you know what, a lot of times uh, city councils and uh, planning commissions are, because there's no really tax revenue coming in, somewhat reluctant to allow for church growth. And actually, there are laws that... uh, protect that as well as uh, some interesting things regarding freedom of speech uh, for uh, the gospel. And anyway, a great time. Again, that's January 23rd. That's a Tuesday. And we're going to be there. And we'll be there. And uh, join us from 10 a.m. to uh, about 1 p.m. We'll give you some more information on that coming up. And you've got some opportunities. We to have opportunities. Well. You know, it's fall and flu shot season. You know that, right? <laughs> the Stanislaw County Health Services Agency is uh, giving an opportunity to licensed registered nurses uh, to um, administer these shots. And also, if they can catch me. <laughs> they can yeah. catch you and find your veins. But uh, also they need non-medical... <laughs> non- <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be being chastised here by Albert. They also need. I've got the switch on your microphone right here. Go ahead. <laughs> You're in control. Um, you also, non- where was that? I? The I non-medical know. volunteers are Flu also shots. needed right. to hold down the patients receiving <laughs> the shots. I'm just kidding. This is an opportunity, folks, to uh, to meet people and and to reach out and to to help those. Well, this just really went downhill, didn't it? You know, on the health the healthy aging summit is taking place. Also, speaking of flu shots 
and they are doing just that on October 13th. That is a Friday, and it happens at Modesto Center Plaza from 8 in the morning until 2 in the afternoon, where they will be giving flu shots, uh, screening, and just a whole lot more. If you know of anyone uh, over the age of 50 and low income, this would be a great, I'll deny great it. thing. Deny it. We're, we're going to move on to yeah. something else that we don't get into trouble with, like uh, helping out with the Keys and Modesto branches of the Stanislaus County Library. This is a great thing where you can help provide reading materials to the community. Great need. Volunteers must be at least 14 years of age to kind of organize uh, things, clean bookshelves, and and uh, to help out. Flexible hours are available Monday through Sunday in Modesto and Monday through Saturday in uh, Keys. And uh, the mission of the Stanislaus County Library is to foster the love of reading and open the door to knowledge. You know, this all also opens the door, friends, to meeting people and letting your light shine, uh, which is a way of loving your neighbors as well. And you can prepare and deliver meals uh, to the needy in Stanislaus County through the United Samaritans Foundation Daily Bread Ministries. Volunteers are needed there to assist with the meal preparation, uh, distribute those meals, and uh, clean up the lunch trucks and help with the mechanical needs as well. Volunteer shifts are available weekdays between 8.30 and 4.30 at all Houston, Modesto, and Turlock sites. You can also help sort and prepare food boxes at the Turlock site and assist with, again, the vehicle and general cleanup at all the sites. The United Samaritans Foundation Daily Bread Ministries provide hot meals uh, or bag lunches to the needy in Stanislaus County weekdays from its kitchens in Houston, Modesto, and Turlock. And friends, if you have any questions on any of these items, uh, we hope that you would give Barbara Borba a call. She's at 209-524-1307, extension 113. Again, uh, 209-524-1307, extension 113. Or you can always give us a call here at 209-544-9571. Well, as we mentioned, longtime friends join us this week from the wonderful ministry of prodigal sons and daughters, Ken Muir's and Jane Muir's. Welcome back to Lighthouse Live. Thank you so much to be back and see you guys again. And our good friend, John, who's behind me, I haven't seen him for a while either. So it is good to be back. The chairman of the board is checking up on us tonight. Great to have you. Happy to have with John Evans with us as well. Absolutely. And we've got some other people that we'll be introducing here shortly. But Ken, first of all, you guys have moved. Uh, We've moved. We're in our 10th year of uh, being in ministry. Uh, We moved to a uh, facility in downtown Turlock so we could be... uh, have more of a hands-on with the locals, and it gives us an opportunity to be more, um, the word would be somewhere out in the open, where we can be more physically seen. And uh, also, we, Jane and I, got a house, so we're no longer living above a store. Wow. So to speak, which... Uh, well, that's a good what? thing, right, Jane? Yeah. Big yes. change. <laughs> Big change and a good thing, And a good right? thing, right? Good. Yeah. good for you. That's awesome. A little bit of history, Ken, to kind of set it up for the ministry, maybe kind of how you got involved and what drives you to commit so much time uh, and so much a, a part of your life to prodigal sons and, and, and daughters. Well, uh, I'm a prodigal. My father used to refer to me as a prodigal, and I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict, and I've been clean for about 17 years now. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, How it happened is Jane had a friend who had a 14-year-old son, or 13, almost 14, that was getting out of a rehab facility that was in Modesto called Thunder Road, which is no longer here. And she asked me to sponsor this young man. 
uh, if I would get involved, and I said no for a lot, and then uh, she and God kind of... He used to say no a lot. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's just the testimony of God's power over a, a mind that isn't willing to go along somewhat. Mm-hmm. But is it is it turned out, you know, I, I finally said yes, and then it was one young man, and then the mom started talking, and then it was two young men, and then four and six, and... Then it was a learning curve, and uh, eventually God made it really uncomfortable for me to do my secular job. And uh, someone came alongside and said, we'd make you a 501c3, but this might take about two years. And that was all done in about four months. Yay. That's a <laughs> miracle. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's what this attorney said. This doesn't happen. It's a God thing. But, uh, that's right. And it just kept on progressing. We got into family ministry because the family gets so sick mm. when we have an addict in the family that uh, kind of spreads out. And uh, Satan has a way of destroying families that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it just evolved into an adult ministry. We moved to a, a location that had a bigger house because we started in our living room. And uh, then recently it just became uncomfortable because the ministry is growing. We're doing five or five meetings a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jane's going to take on another women's ministry during the day. Excellent. Wow. Coming up in November. Yes. Uh, so we're just, uh, we're not done yet. You know, because addiction isn't going to go away, but uh, it's a step in the right direction. And ideally, I think at some point we'd like to have a Christian recovery center rather mm. than so many secular Amen. ones. And Amen. but uh, I have a tendency to get ahead of the cart a little bit, and Don't I have we? a great board of directors that <laughs> says, slow down. That. And but we have a really wonder, wonderful location where we can uh, do a lot more education with adolescents. Mm. We've got some really excellent DVDs and. Uh, reproducible written materials and uh, have, a, have a fine family support group. Some of the ladies are here tonight that have been really involved yes. and, and want to help spread the word. And of course, Jane is, uh, brings her own uniqueness to our group. And, and what does that mean? And, uh, <laughs> you know, as a husband and wife can say those things, huh? Well, you know, there's something unique about having a husband and wife that do counseling at the same time, because not only does a group get to see our dysfunctions and how we work through it, as we, sometimes takes longer or than we like. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, working with adolescents, they get to see a different family dynamic. Well, you yeah. know, you guys are real, and there's something to be said for the transparency and, 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 and the reality that you bring to the ministry. And I think that's uh, so important. Mm. Well, I think that, that Ken, you know, o- over the years, I think we, when we first connected, it was that um, authenticity, mm. you know, that uh, I think, got us connected with each other and, and uh, uh, really praying for each other's ministries and, and holding each other up. And, you know, I, I think one of, the, uh, one of the issues that we have to deal with in the Western church right now is that, um, you know, we'll, we'll throw a program at, at something that's difficult to deal with, but uh, we got to be there for the long term. And uh, you have to have people who are willing to be real and authentic and expose all the warts and all, all that stuff so that uh, the people who are hurting feel that there's some, somebody to empathize with, someone who really understands where they're, where they're at. And unintentionally, I think, in the, in the church today so often, especially with uh, addictions, you know, we, uh, we may have a program 
within the church, but there sometimes are, are the looks and un- unintentional, but you just don't feel like you really fit in. And it's so important, I think, in this dynamic of John 17 of the, of the body of Christ mm-hmm. working together yes. that the church has a resource to go to and say, man, Ken, you know, you've been there, done that, you understand the dynamics, and you have a great thing going. Let, let's link arms with you. And uh, let's deal with this uh, problem out on the streets. And I just think it's, I just you know, want to thank you so much yes. as part of that body of Christ for, for stepping out and, and, and saying to the secular job, you know, I got to leave now because God is calling. Well, I did it somewhat reluctantly. You have to well, understand. But you know, you we, said no for we a while. Do that. I did say no for a while and it became Absolutely. really uncomfortable. But you're right that uh, the church needs to be more transparent and you know, recovery is still a reconciliation, and, and we're all sinners, and, and we're all in recovery in one form or another. And aren't we all prodigals? And we're all prodigals. Amen. Don't we so love the story of the prodigal We do need son? to get out yes. f- out in the streets, and, and, and Jesus didn't stand still very long. I believe he was walking around a lot, seeking those that sure. are The grass like didn't me. grow under his feet, did it? No. <laughs> no. What uh, what can the church do? And I, I want to jump ahead just a little bit, but I want to also provide this hook for people who are listening. Uh, this is not just about a ministry operating by itself, because I know that's not the way you operate. Correct. This is about a ministry partnering with the greater body of Christ. How can the church at large can link arms with you and help make an even greater impact on our community? Um, one of the programs we're trying to do, not trying to do, we will do this year is... Uh, and, and the ladies will talk about it probably a little bit. But by the time an adolescent gets into our program or a young adult, they've been into their addiction about two years. And uh, parents so often say we had no idea. So one of the things we want to do and are going to do this year is put together a program where we can go into the churches and talk to their moms and dads. Mm. And awesome. you know, do about a six-hour yes, program yes. that Amen. here's the warning signs that you need to look for. Uh, lipstick tube isn't necessarily real lipstick. There's little hidden compartments here. A soda pop can isn't necessarily one that would hold a container of liquid. It could hold drugs. So there's many different hiding places. If you find matches, burnt matches in tin foil in your child's bedroom, that's a strong indication that they're burning something in there and it isn't, you know, it's a drug. And so we just want to help them be aware. So uh, again, our, our ministry is about bridging these people, the lost are the ones that are struggling and mm. turning way back to the church of their choice. We, we're not in competition with the churches, Amen. nor do we want to be That's a church. Right. And I'll bet one of the blessings that you see, Ken and Jane, is the um, the reconciliation that takes place between the adolescent and the parents after working through, of course, a lot of stuff in between. But isn't reconciliation? It is. It, it can sometimes be a long, arduous process. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, one of the key things about the ministry is that it it can't ever be about numbers mm-hmm. and about statistics. It has to bear fruit. But we kind of figure our job is we keep that door open. Mm-hmm. And we may lose a kid, but he'll cycle back through at some point, And he sees that we don't go away. We're still going to say, come back come back because relapse is just a huge reality of drug addiction it just it is and it's not our job to say well we've got this many clean this month okay now are we are we okay it's we just have to be consistent 
and forgiving constantly. Well, it seems to me that's the way God deals with us, right? Exactly. I mean, we, we all yeah. fail, whatever right. the sin might be, and, and God gives us those second and third and fourth. Right. So failure, so to speak, is part of it. Yeah. And, that, and that grace and that mercy, uh, we, we really need to extend. And, and again, I think Ken and Jane, uh, in, in, our, in our Western thought in terms of church, we need to redefine, I think, what success is. Yes. And it's not about the numbers. No. It's not about the. It's about no. the individual life that you impact, and if you only bring one person to the foot of the cross, or at least plant yeah. a seed, yeah. that's success. Right? And the lessons learned along the way, Jane, when they do come back and they speak of what happened during that relapse, and they come back, what do they come back saying? It's that they. A lot of them come back and, you know, they're contrite. They mm-hmm. feel like you know they they tried it one more time their way. What's so awesome is when they come back, there's always somebody new sitting in the room mm-hmm. that hears and goes, whoa, you know, yeah. you were clean for how long? And then you lost it again. Um, and like you said, Mike, it's a perfect uh, example of what Christ does for us. It's, that it, it's, it's acceptable if somebody says, well, you know, yeah, I lie a little bit each day and God forgives me. But if someone says, well, yeah, I slipped and did drugs again for the 10th, 15th time, you know, we as a church body, it's still, it, it, we can, we can judge easily and go, well, come on, it's drugs. Just give it up and walk away. I think the church also needs to understand that just saying no doesn't necessarily work because people that are using drugs have a real deep hurt inside of them and there is some sort of trauma and that understanding even in the scientific world that addiction is a disease of the brain. When you put methamphetamines into your brain, your brain chemistry changes. When you use heroin, your brain chemistry changes. And so just to say don't do it when your body's extremely craving, you need to have someone kind of work through that with you. And someone just to say, well, just don't do it and pray. It's a wonderful thing, but it doesn't always work because your mind is so discombobulated that, uh, you know, your perception of God isn't there. You, you have a perception, perception of a God, but it's spelt with a small g. You can't just flip fit. the switch. No, it's and, a process. That's right. And I, and I think we've, we've abused uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. You know, the old is gone, the new has come. So what's your problem? You know, I mean, it's not quite stated that way, but that's the, you know, the message. And, you know, we aren't dealt with that way by God. You know, he understands that we have our ups and downs and our our failures and his his arms are always wide open. Thank God he's more patient with us. And he gives us choices. He does. That's right. You know, the the process, uh, there has to be a, a brokenness that takes place. Jane, you mentioned the contrite yeah, uh, spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, when we think of drug addict or alcoholic, we, we automatically envision somebody completely down on their luck and, you know, on a, on a dark, narrow street with homeless. We just the other day learned about a, a new thing that's out there called dusting, which is taking the stuff that you use to clean your keyboard Kids are snorting that. Mm. And uh, curiosity, just simple curiosity. And this one letter we got, this kid, guy's a police officer, and his son overdosed, and he taught Mm. drug addiction in his home. He had a drug dog in his home. So, of course, nothing was known because that's not illegal. But the kid was found with that. He had done this. He had the straw in his nose. Yeah. Part of the huffing process. Mm. So it's not the typical face of an addict. We can't can't do that. You know, we can't say Mm. this is what they look like. Or the baby boomers uh, overdosing on the prescription drugs. Vicodin and Oxycontin are such an epidemic now. 
You know, so yeah. the parents are scratching their heads, wondering how did this happen, and yet, where's the communication? Where does that come in? And in working with a family group, we need to. We have a saying in recovery that's about the three C's, and that three C's is you didn't cause it, you can't control it, and you can't cure it. And as some of our guests will say uh, tonight, that you know that shame and guilt that kind of goes with that, and how could this be happening to me? And I'm in the body of Christ, and how how do I take this to my church? And if we do take it to the church, uh, they're going to look at us like we'll just get them to not do it. Or, but I won't say their story. And and then it is the process because one of our uh, ladies tonight, her, her son is doing real well, and one of uh, the other ones, a, a young woman, is kind of in and out, still struggling a little bit. And, and the process of how the family needs to set up the boundaries and, and telling that addict, we know that you're not going to change, but you need to know that we're changing. Mm. And so this is something we're doing different. And if you want to be part of this family, you get to make the choice. If you don't want to, we're going to love you enough to give you what you want. Mm. And if you want to go out there, then go do it. And that's the opportunity that God puts before us where uh, that addict can then reach out to the Lord. And until he does that, then or he or she is going to stay stuck. Well, education is a major part of this process. And uh, as, as we've dealt with the Weed and Seed program with uh, the police department, a lot, a lot of parents don't know what the indicators are of, of right. gang activity in That's their right. home. And same thing here. Uh, I, I think one of the most valuable things that uh, you have to offer to parents is just plain old information yes. and what to look for, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I hope they say that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I think they will. And you know, too, guys, nothing else says it more than a transformed life. And I know you have a, a friend with you tonight. And, Anthony, you want to move up just a little bit closer there. And thank you for coming. I, I just, you know, you, you just, you, your face just beams with, with uh, the good life now. And, and uh, I know that it wasn't always that way for you. Can you share a little bit about what the ministry of Prodigal Sons and Daughters has meant to your life? Yes, it has meant a lot. And um, I don't know if, how far back you want me to go, but as a child, um, I didn't feel loved as much as I wanted to be. And my my mother was more abusive to me than I would have liked. And then going to, we moved around a lot, and so it was hard for me to make friends. And so getting into high school, I we had moved, so I had came to a new high school, and I didn't make friends very well, and I wanted to be accepted. And so I found a group of friends that kind of accepted me, but they uh, they smoked pot, so I started smoking pot and from pot it graduated to cocaine by the time I was 17 I was doing cocaine and I was hooked on cocaine for three years and majorly hooked I would work and my check would go to cocaine Mm. and I would stay up all night doing cocaine and have to work and Mm. just thinking of how I could survive working almost dying was just the only thing that kept me going is I was going to get off work and do more cocaine and from cocaine, it got to the point where I hated cocaine and I just couldn't do any more. And so I started doing meth. And I did crystal meth. And in between that time, I was doing LSD, heroin, pills. You name it, I would mm. do it. And I, I didn't care about myself very much at all. I just cared about getting high. And I did meth for six or seven years. Up until recently, I came to Prodigals, actually, 
and two years ago, and I got baptized, and I was on fire for the Lord for six months straight, and I didn't contact any of my old friends, none of that, and then I eventually started missing some of my old friends, so I called one of my old friends up, and called him up, started hanging out, started by smoking some weed, smoked some weed, and that wasn't doing it for me, so then I started back into the meth, and so I, I fell back away from the light again, and you know how they say uh, when you fall, it's seven times seven. Mm-hmm. And boy, was it bad! Mm-hmm. Uh, it got to the point where this last Christmas Eve, um, I must have had done meth a couple of days before, but so I was coming down. It's one of the effects that you go up so high that you come down, and I was coming down. And Christmas Eve, I was. I had just gotten this new motorcycle, a little crotch rocket. You ever seen one of those? You know, oh, yeah, yes. yes. <laughs> Every parent's nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I was, go- I was going to my parents' house on Christmas Eve, and I was going extremely fast. I was going 110 miles an hour, and I, wow. I got in a wreck. Hmm. And I woke up in the hospital 12 hours later, and I had internal bleeding in my brain. The doctor had told my family, because I wasn't coherent at all, I was on morphine. They told my family that I had a punctured lung, broke cracked rib, um, internal bleeding, and a day later, I guess there was a big old prayer chain praying for me. Mm-hmm. Lots of people praying for me, and uh, miraculously, you know, you could say mysteriously, but it was miraculously, yes. the internal bleeding stopped. Amen. No punctured lung, no cracked rib, mm-hmm. just a broken collarbone and an broken shoulder blade and a lot of pain and from that point i just thought god had given me a second chance he had shed his grace on me and that i needed to you know come back to him because the whole time i was on drugs i always wanted to be feel connected with the lord i was raised catholic so i always knew of the lord but i really didn't have the personal relationship with him that i do now so i always had the desire to but the desire to do the drug was a little bit greater because I was addicted. Mm-hmm. And so I started going back to church every Sunday, and I, I almost completely quit the meth. I, I relapsed four times with the meth, and I only done it one time each time in the last nine months. But I, I was smoking marijuana still, and I was um, rationalizing it with, you know, at least it's not meth. Mm-hmm. But as I grew in the spirit, I was I felt that the weed was quenching it and you know it was still separating me from Christ you know it was one of those sins that you know sometimes there's sins that you I can't say you can't control but sometimes you know you lust after a woman or something like that it's like something that you really can't control it's something your mind does even though but like a drug you consciously take it so it's just one of those things that you can control it's a sin you can control you cannot take it and so uh, I quit smoking marijuana 51 days ago. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. 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 Uh, we so. are celebrating uh, with you, Anthony. We're going to celebrate lots more uh, this week with our dear friends from Prodigal Sons and Daughters. And we just rejoice uh, in the lives of those recovering and being transformed. God bless you, brother. Thanks for sharing. The group Cademan's Call tells it like it is in their song entitled Hands of the Potter Now on Lighthouse Live.
mud from the sty is still clinging to the prodigal son. But I'm on my way back home. Yes, I'm on my way back home into the hills. Cademan's Call here on Lighthouse Live. That's Hands of the Potter along with Pastor Mike Douglas and Lane Harlan. Our friends Ken and Jane Muirs from Prodigal Sons and Daughters. And just before the song, we were hearing a great testimony from Anthony. And Anthony, you hit lots of bottoms, it sounds like. And tell us what happened when finally bottoming out, what, what happened from there. Um, well, I'm drawing a blank. What happened? I do that often. <laughs> We do that, but it's 
Because we're over 50. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, well, that's why we have that healthy aging summit coming up here. Exactly. going to take care of that for us. But. You, you know, it says a lot, though, when, when Christ wants a relationship with us, how persistent he is. Amen. And yes. then in AA Recovery, they talk about cunning, baffling, and powerful. But in, in our program, we put cunning, baffling, powerful, but also add patient. Mm. Because in Anthony's testimony there, he, he had some recovery going. And uh, for whatever reason, maybe dropped his guard a little bit. And that's when Satan uses that to sucker punch us. And then we're only just one toked mm-hmm. or yeah. one uh, drink away. You know, another right. dynamic there, uh, Anthony, and you talked about going back and hanging with your friend. You know, uh, trying to do this on our own, uh, not not real effective, right? I mean, we do need the, the body working with us, right? Yes, sir. Well, the thing is, is I work the program now, and that's a big step in why I'm clean today. Because before, I w- it was a every Wednesday thing, you know. It's like, and I, uh, my uncle had gotten me a job, so kind of I didn't, I wasn't doing it for myself to this becoming sober. I was doing it to satisfy other people's mm-hmm. expectations on me, and he had gotten me a job, so you know, as long as I went to church on Sunday and went to Prodigals on Wednesday, then everything was okay. And so I w- really wasn't working the program or working the steps, which, you know, you have to admit you're powerless over the drug, and you have to admit that there's a higher power that can help you overcome the drug, and then you have to make amends with people you have wronged, and there's a, some other ones I don't remember, but Ken does. Well, they're just it's all biblical teachings. Yes. Most of these steps come from the Beatitudes, Sermon on mm-hmm. the Mount, and the Book mm-hmm. of James, and right. and he is working it. He chooses to uh, tap in the Christ that lives within him. So many times in recovery, people are saying, you know, Lord, give me strength, give me strength, but Jesus is in there. So it's like make the choice to go to the Lord. So give me strength to make the right choice, maybe, but it's uh it's like he's saying now he, he is actively pursuing his recovery he he, he calls his sponsor daily mm-hmm. uh, he comes to his meetings he participates and uh a 12 step which is kind of what tonight is you know carrying mm-hmm. the message to that's others right. Amen. That's and he's right. not afraid to let people see who he is and before we were hiding and uh, tonight my he's, young friend he's isn't not hiding anymore and anthony when you came back to prodigal sons and daughters and and the program did you find that you weren't being judged? Did you find a... a oh, no, you you're know? never judged when you go in there because, yeah. you know, as Ken says, when you're pointing one finger at somebody, you have three pointing back mm-hmm. at you. <laughs> That's good, yes. And, yeah. And so, no, you go there, and I've never been to a, any other kind of AA, but from what I hear, it's completely different because, you know, we use the word God and Jesus and not a higher power. Yes. And uh, it, there's just that love that comes from a believer that when you come there, you know, you're not judged and you're respected and there's no cursing. And it's just it's a very warm, homey environment. And you just, you know, there's food and cookies and water. <laughs> that's a good part, huh? <laughs> no, that's an excellent part. And, you know, it's just, you know, and you come in there and people just want to love on you and, that's something you're not used to when you're an addict. You're used yeah. to, you know, abuse and disrespect and just guarding yourself. And when you come there, you can tell some people that when they show up there, they're kind of in awe of how we act. You know, we were talking about uh, the name Prodigal Sons and, and Daughters, and uh, I can't help but think of how awesome this was uh 
from from the uh, 15th chapter in Luke, and this is taken from uh, the translation, The Message, Eugene Peterson uh, describing about the prodigal son coming back. He says, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. This is the father heart of God. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. Don't you feel that? I mean, isn't that a wonderful thing to know that when you've fallen away, and we've all fallen short, haven't we? Whether it be with drugs, alcohol, lust, gambling, whatever, whatever that is for us, um, he embraces us. He runs to us. We come to him and embraces us and and kisses us and, and just welcomes us back with that love and that patience that compassion and that mercy that we talk about. Nice to know he's looking forward to you coming back, mm-hmm. and that's the environment that you guys have created, right? What an awesome thing. Yeah, and in that story, there was a brother who was having struggles. Yes. So that's yes. another part of the family that a lot of people overlook within that uh, teaching of Jesus. How you do- know, we we want to hear from our other yes. guests. Real quick, but Anthony, uh, you know, if there's another guy or gal out there right now that's listening to the program, and again, this broadcast goes all around the world, and they're uh, maybe they're smoking pot, and uh, maybe they're uh, getting into something a little uh, heavier that uh, that they need just to, to get through the night and get through the next day. What would you tell them right now? Meet them right where they are. What would you tell them on behalf of Christ? Um, man, if you're smoking pot, put down that joint because you know what? It's just going to lead to worse and worse and worse and worse and. It's it's like, you know, they say sin is good for a season. Well, pretty soon, you know, maybe you're doing it to get high, but eventually you'll need it to feel okay. And, and I just, you know, it's hard to speak to someone if they don't want to quit. But if they do, then s- search for someone that can help you. That's all I can say. Amen. You know, we think of the the family dynamics, and and everyone in the family is affected. And we're so glad that, that joining us tonight also uh, are Linda and and or excuse me, yes, Linda and Lucy. Thank you for taking the time, ladies, to come and join us. I don't know what the particular situations were in your family, but certainly as parents. Uh, you were affected. Can you just share with uh, those who are listening what your experience was in meeting the ministry of prodigal sons and daughters and what it's meant to your life? How was your life changed as a result of this? Lucy, you want to start us out? Sure. Um, Move in real close. There you go. I was probably in denial for a couple of years. Um, Thinking all the wrong things, knowing that there was something definitely wrong afraid to go there um but it became too hard to deal with so i sourced out a friend who was aware of prodigal sons and daughters and made a phone call that's how it begins sometimes with a phone that's call. how it begins when you find a voice on the other end that understands because they've <laughs> been there and done that as we say makes all the difference in the world doesn't it yes yeah. it was um huge what did you have to do uh, inside, Lucy, in order to make that phone call? I mean, I imagine there's maybe some stuff. This can't be happening, and uh, I'm really confused and I'm a little afraid. What What did you have to uh, deal with inside to pick up that phone and, and make that first call? Courage. Mm. How did you get that courage? 
I don't know, thinking there was something else out there, something that I was searching for, something that could help me get through this. Mm. Not on a not on a human level. It was just but I needed direction to get there. You know, and I can't help but think that maybe that friend of yours was praying for you to have that courage, praying that God would strengthen you to make that call and do what you needed to do. Yeah. Linda's with us tonight as well. Linda, yeah, thank I, you. I, and I'm just, I, it's funny, I was kind of dreading coming here, but now that I'm here, I just, I'm kind of like Anthony. It's like, I don't know where to begin. Um, I, I want to tell you, first of all, that if any parents out there, I... Prodigals to me was a total God thing. Mm. Um, I I wasn't coming because I was looking for something. I was trying to find some sort of answer for my son. My son was, I think, close to 17. Um, I'd had him through several counselors. Um, we were. I felt a strong Christian family. Um, he was going to a Christian school. Uh, he was brought up in church. Um, I felt a lot of shame. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I was desperate. So... <clears throat> I was looking for something for him, and um, I pretty much was running up against, I didn't know what to do. I did not feel, I think I felt too isolated and shamed in my own church, to be honest with you. Not not necessarily that's, I didn't feel like they understood. I mean, you know, you have all the propaganda out there. Are you eating dinner with your child? We had dinner all every night with each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were not a dysfunctional family, that, to, to my way of thinking. Um, you know, we were very involved with our children, my husband and I both. Um, we had two older children that seemed to, to survive us. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and then we have Adam who comes along and is just, you know, um, I always felt that he was a fragile, a fragile child. Um, he had, you know, sporadic bouts of drinking that I tried to, you know, think, oh, this is okay. Um, then it, pretty soon it's pills and then it's like, oh, my gosh. And uh, I called my pastor whom I love, of course, one of our pastors, and he um, kind of through a, a kind of a circuitous route linked me up with uh, Ken, whom I called. And, I mean, I remember sobbing on the phone to Ken, just sobbing, and I don't know how he understood me, but he said, no, there's something here for your son. We have a program, um, and come. And I really wasn't looking for something for myself at that time. But um, such a God thing, uh, Chris and I, my husband and I, started going to the parents' meeting. Uh, I was very, I'm sure Ken would say, kind of... Um, Argumentative. Argumentative. <laughs> well, and I was because I, I felt like, you know what, I, I, we're hurting. Uh, you're saying tough love. You're saying bring the bottom up. You're saying, you know, if he's stealing from you, have him arrested. It's like, oh, my goodness, I am never doing those things. Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely never going to do those things. Mm-hmm. Well, praise God, you get to a point where you've done all the loving things. You've done, I mean, Anthony, I, yeah, I don't know your parents, but I mean, I know how I felt about my son. I I wanted him to get off his drugs. I could see it was totally controlling and ruining his life. He was a very bright person. He went to somebody that was just uh, stealing from me, climbing through windows. Uh, We kept every room in the... We were so... I I can't... Somebody who hasn't been through it can't understand how dysfunctional the family actually becomes. Mm -hmm. It is bizarre. Getting in with with the group, though, and and, uh, and the parents' group, um, I learned quickly that I wasn't alone. And there's a big comfort in that. You know, God's like reaching out to me and putting his arms around me and saying, you know what? There are other people in the same struggle. And since uh, I've gone through, uh, uh, and mine did have a happy story. I'm, I'm proud to say that my son has had over two years of sobriety. Amen. That's wonderful. Uh, praise God. But yeah. um, 
I, because of the sensitivity, I, I am surrounded by people who are hurting that I automatically know they are in the same situation that God has brought into mm-hmm. my life. And it's like, I, you know, I feel like telling them, come on, get in, get into a parent support program. Go, go to prodigals. You know, it's hard. They, they don't feel, they feel shamed. What it's, an encouragement yeah. that you have, uh, Linda. And we thank you for sharing. And we've got lots more sharing right after this. Deep needs, deep hurts, spreading far beyond the government's ability to help. Children, single moms and dads, the elderly, disabled, the homeless. Yet, thousands of resources that can meet those needs are sitting right now in the pews and seats of our churches. The challenge? Activating those resources and connecting them with the people in need. We have a proven solution, advancing vibrant communities. We bridge the gap. We connect people and churches with opportunities to serve the needs of their neighbors. Pure, simple, proven effective, advancing vibrant communities. What's our motivation? Jesus' command in Matthew 22:39, to love your neighbor as yourself. The church at large has a biblical mandate to serve the needs of the community. Advancing Vibrant Communities researches those needs, then finds volunteers with the skills and passions to meet those needs. The very first story that Mike told about AVC involves serving one of my church members whose needs I could not meet within my own community. And in that moment, God humbled me and asked me to open my heart and really listen. And as I saw the setup of the database, I realized that AVC is a wonderful partner with my own congregation. It helps us be more effective. This organization comes along and says, I'll do a lot of the groundwork and we'll discover the needs. And then those folks in your congregation who desire to be a part and who have these skills can volunteer. AVC partners with over 80 community and government agencies to help meet the needs of the city. We network with organizations like Habitat for Humanity, the American Red Cross, Salvation Army, the Area Agency on Aging, the School District, and the Police Department. Habitat and AVC is a perfect match in that we both have common missions of helping people get out of the four walls of the church, getting out into the community and helping others. AVC serves volunteers by finding ways for them to help others. AVC serves the needy through volunteer efforts with love, grace, mercy, and compassion. AVC serves churches by augmenting efforts to reach out and meet the needs of their neighbors. AVC serves businesses by helping create healthy neighborhoods, by connecting employees with opportunities to volunteer, and by providing opportunities to donate goods and services to legitimate needs in the community. You know, some of us can do- donate a little money, some a little time, some one or the other or both. It really touched my heart that these strangers were interested in me and what I needed in my life. You know, it's not only hearing it, but it's seeing them and it's being there in person and seeing the the need that they have and hopefully being able to do something about it. I will tell you, as you know, your chief of police in the city of Modesto, we need your help in the community making a difference. Volunteer, I know we can put you to work. And I, I promise you, if you get involved, you'll feel better. You'll be happier. How can we partner with you to meet the needs of our city? 
We ask you to consider monthly financial support and to help recruit more volunteers. Advancing Vibrant Communities. Faith in action. Pure, simple, proven effective. Carrying out the biblical mandate to love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you. And we're back with you on Lighthouse Live, Pastor Mike, Elaine, and our friends from Prodigal Sons and Daughters, a Christian ministry for young men and women seeking recovery from substance abuse. And I tell you what, we're kind of like having one big meeting here and just listening to the interaction going on between the break there. There's something special that takes place in the healing. And as you relate to Anthony and, and Linda and Lucy, maybe just continue to share a little bit about the dynamics of what takes place when you share with one another the way you are. Linda, you want to kick that off? Well, um, basically, when, when we're sharing with each other, we are, we're in a meeting situation, and um, Ken always led the meetings for us, most part, and he kind of gave us tools. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, but that, that's what they were, really. They were tools, and it was like, when you're dealing with somebody, uh, my husband and I don't have any addiction problems, and I nor have we. We were just, you know, I, I don't think it was anything, oh, hurrah for us. It just, that isn't part of our, probably our, our physiological makeup. But the bottom line is we didn't know how to deal with him. I mean, here's my husband who's a policeman. I'm a nurse. Um, it, you know, when love enters in the door there and it's something you're really not equipped, it isn't like this is a person out there that you don't know. This is somebody who you love mm-hmm. and they're doing all kinds of things that are so hurtful. Um, you don't really know what to do. You don't know how to talk to them. I mean, um, you put them on restriction, you do all these things that, you know, parents do that really when a child's uh, sucked into drugs, they just thought this is not going to work. Um, Ken would always, you know, I can't tell you the times that we called Ken and had him say, you know what, um, ask him questions. Don't don't let him lay the guilt trip on you. Try to try to get him. You know, nevertheless, and you know, in irregardless. irregardless, it's like because the the child, our child anyway, is a very, very intelligent uh, individual. Um, but you know, there's a lot of whenever, and I don't, I'm not, I don't want you to think I'm talking about you, Anthony, at all. But when a lot of times I think with um, kids that are sucked into drugs, they want to. Um, blame somebody else they don't want to take responsibility and say you know i made bad choices it's more like you know how did god make my son if god's so great why did he let me do this mom how you know you're so you're so tight with god what what do you think about that mom and a lot of a lot of tough things that i felt ill-equipped really ill-equipped to deal with i mean i i'm a a devout believer but it's like i'm not used to this kind of an assault. Mm. And when we were going to the prodigal meetings and we're sitting there, we're going over ways to, uh, I could use a lot of these coin phrases, probably not going to make sense, but bring the bottom up mm-hmm. um, and kind of say, you know what, we're not going to make it easy for this person to stay caught in this terrible, um, I, I think of it as a satanic swirling Cycle, cycle, mm. and like that definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting to rack them. That's how yeah. that's how dealing with an addict as a parent is, because you keep reverting to these things that you think are going to work, and they would work if your child wasn't caught into drugs, but they're not going to work on an addict. They just aren't. And you know, I wish I could say, oh gosh, my son went one time and he was cured, and he went to prodigals and he was cured, and he saw the light. I don't think that's how it is for most people that are in addiction. I just think they it takes several times and it's a lot of it's very hard on the parent and the family because they have to persevere 
they have to hang tough. And it's not that easy to do. It's like you keep expecting, come on, fix them, you know, get fixed. Let's move on. Let's get this, this dark cloud over our head away. Um, because that's how it feels. It feels like your whole life is colored by this one little person who is the focal point of your life, your whole family. I mean, I had other children, my husband and I, it's like, this was our focal point. And by going through prodigals, and it isn't about how's your child doing, it's about how are you doing, mm-hmm. Linda? How are you doing, Lucy? Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm a child of God, too. I matter. My life matters. I don't mean that in a selfish way. I mean that in a way that God doesn't necessarily intend for me to go down with my son. My son is making choices. That doesn't mean that he, that God wants me to go down with him. And I clearly felt through prodigals that I had that feeling like, you know what? You're important, too. And you've got to learn to to do whatever it takes to divorce yourself from that being your focal point. Not that you're not going to love that child, but he can't be your focal point. And that's what I really got out of a lot. And and, and, and then, let me get Anthony oh, sorry, in here so just for us. No, no, that that's oh, great, Anthony. That's I, I, you, you're leaning forward, and I I know the wheels are turning. Respond to what you're hearing as as a child. Uh, back to what you heard a parent just say. And you it sounds to me like you did all of the right things, but some. No, I didn't. I did well, all the wrong things. Yeah, but you, at least you you sought out to improve your child's life. You know, to get him clean and to love him. And my parents did not go the route you did. They. The way they did, they attacked me. They would call me no good. They would just, they would beat me, my self-esteem further down, which would, not saying it's their fault, but saying that they made me feel worthless and like, why not go use? Why not? Because, you know. But don't you think you felt you're worthless to begin with? Just from, see, I think my son felt worthless too, but not from us. Yes, but see, my, my parents did not accept responsibility for the way they treated me at all. They thought they were treating me fine, and I kept on telling them, you're not treating me fine. And, you know, I, I wanted to tell them, but then they would come at me and lash out at me and not accept their own responsibility. My parents, I'm not saying they're like you. I'm just saying there's type of parents. I've seen numerous types of parents that act like this and don't accept any responsibility for their child. They'd say, it's, you're your own person, and I'm not responsible for the way I treated you. And they just don't accept responsibility because they don't want to feel guilty. Awesome, Anthony. Ken, uh, some last words. As your leader of this ministry, partnering with your wife, a last word from you uh, on what you've just heard here. Fear is a big factor. Uh, I just read something recently about fear uh, is hundreds of miles high to the left to right. It goes on for eternity, but we need to know that it's paper thin God and to just man. go through it. Quick phone number so people can get a hold of you. 209-634-3538 or 209-652-2267. God bless you for being here. God bless you for listening in at home. Until next time, good night.